Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. Last weekend was awesome. It was a fantastic time of worship in this room. We had an 8 o'clock and a 9.30 service. And then we went out to serve in our community. If you're online with us, I'm so glad you're worshiping. I hope you served wherever you're at last weekend as well. In our community right here, we had about 125 people went out and served. And we spent two or three hours, depends on which site you were on, two or three hours serving, which doesn't seem like a lot to each one of us. You're thinking maybe two or three hours, what good can I do in two to three hours? But if you take that two or three hours and multiply it by 125 people, well, now you have hundreds of man hours involved. We served and did some incredible things when our school buildings around the area, helping hands, ministry across the road, senior housing area. We've been receiving all week long thank yous uh, and response to our service. People have seen the love of the Lord through what we did, through what you did. And I want to thank you for taking part in that service time. It was a great opportunity for us to jump into. I also talked last weekend about our need for uh, people who will love kids in our early childhood rooms. Here in the building, they will love kids and show them Jesus. And I talked about how we have a nursery and a preschool kindergarten room. We're going to add a new room and and multiply a room out. It's going to be great starting next weekend. That's a week away. It's going to be great. And I asked for people to step up and say, I'm in. I will serve. We had a couple. We need more. I'm just going to be honest. We need more. And I thought to myself, maybe what will help is if we see the spaces we're talking about. Not a lot of us get to go in our kids' ministry area every weekend. It's behind secure doors, and so it's safe for our kids, a secure check-in process. And Maybe you haven't seen the rooms. I want you to see the spaces we're talking about, just so you can visualize where the need is. Our nursery, we moved it a few years ago from up on the level where auditorium is here, downstairs into our secure area, and we redid, uh, renovated a room down there for our nursery. And this is a picture of our, our nursery here. Uh, it's from the corner. It's a long room, a lot of space in there. And I got in the corner as tight as I could to take that picture. So hopefully you can see kind of how it goes there. Um, it's a great space for our kids. There's padded flooring for babies to play. There's rocking chairs to rock babies to sleep and to calm them down. There's little places for them to rest and to sleep. It's a fantastic space for our babies, our, our littlest Jesus followers. Fantastic space. If you say, you know what, I can... I, I don't know what else I can do, but I can certainly love babies. We have a need for you in that room right there. The next picture I want to show you, this is of a, a room. It's been our preschool and kindergarten room for some time. And in this room, we've tried to divide in the room, but we've had uh, ages uh, like two, three through kindergarten, five-year-old kids in there. It's been a lot of kids of a large age span in a small room, and we've been cramming them all in there as best as we can to show them the love of Jesus, and that room is literally bursting at the seams as it needs to grow. And so beginning next weekend, this room will be our twos and three-year-old room. 
two and three-year-old children. If you have one or a grandchild age, they'll be in this room right here. And in that room, we will love them. If you know two and three-year-old kids, you know that is a fantastic age to be around. They are full of life, energy, joy, and a few tears here and there. But they love everything that they do. And they run, and they play, and they roughhouse. And we need adults that love Jesus and love kids that age to play with them and point them to Jesus. So if you say, I don't know if I can teach big, long, drawn-out, in-depth lessons, but I can get down on the floor and play with children, that's the room for you, two- and three-year-old kids. And then I want to show you our newest room. It's going to open next weekend. This is our brand-new room. It's, it's empty in the picture because we're filling it up this week coming up, and it'll have tables and chairs and things in there also. This is for our four- and five-year-old kids. Brand-new room. We've done a lot of work over the last couple of months to get this room ready. And that work included knocking out a wall to combine two rooms so we get a larger room and then getting new carpeting and flooring and just kind of getting that room ready for four and five-year-old kids. Next Sunday, there'll be tables and chairs in there and things ready for kids to learn about Jesus. And maybe you're saying, you know what? I don't do diapers. Anybody? I don't do diapers. Right? I did when my kids were little. I'm glad they grew up. Maybe you're saying, I, I don't know about getting on the, on the floor of my knees and playing a lot, but you know what I'd like to do is I, I love listening to five-year-olds tell stories and be squirrely and goofy. And I like to just tell them about Jesus. And if that's your thing, then that's where you need to serve. We have places in our kids' ministry for you to serve and for you to love children and point them to Jesus so they can grow up. Because the kids in those rooms right now, it won't be very long till they're in these seats on this stage, sharing about Jesus. It won't be very long until they're going out on the big serve and they're painting and they're pulling weeds and they're doing things that we did last weekend. We want to love them and point them to Jesus. Last Thursday, I was meeting with our elders. I meet with our elders every Thursday. And this past week, our whole staff was with us. We were all meeting together up in our lobbies where we meet right up here. And we were sharing uh, with each other about different things in the building. We were talking specifically about our, our children, our, our kids, and our preteens, and our teenagers, and we were just talking about how sometimes kids and teenagers, they have a tendency to be noisy, and it'd be a little bit loud, sometimes obnoxious even, and a little squirrely, and they can tear stuff up, and they can break things, but I'm so glad they're here, because the church that doesn't have loud, obnoxious, squirrely kids running up and down the hallways, that church doesn't have a long lifespan. So I'm so glad we have children here. In the three rooms I showed you right there, between Sunday morning and Wednesday night, we have roughly 30 kids that will be in those rooms every single week. Right now. And that number is growing every week. So I ask you to consider jumping in and serving saying, I'm going to invest myself in the future of the kingdom in this community by loving these kids well. If you'd like to serve in our kids' ministry in some way, it's really simple what you're going to do. You're going you're to leave this room. If you're in person, you're going to leave this room in a minute uh, at the end of our service and go to the Next Steps table, and I have some papers there. You can fill one out just with what you think you might want to do, and I'll get it to our kids' minister, Rebecca, and she will get a hold of you, and it'll be a great thing. If you're online, I'm asking you to pray. Pray for our kids. Pray for the Lord to raise up workers to go in the harvest field of early childhood so that we can continue to point them to Jesus. Now, having said that, 
That's our first next step today. There's going to be a few next steps. That's our first next step we're going to take together. I want to pray for us, and we're going to jump into James chapter 3 and read about the rest. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for everything you've been doing in us, everything you've been doing in this ministry, everything you're doing through us. And Father, I thank you that you are helping families find you. And I thank you that you are helping children love you. And teenagers find the joy of your kingdom. I thank you that you are breaking the chains of habits and addictions and pain and brokenness. And you are restoring us into your image. And the Father, you are sending us. You are sending us with a better way to live. I thank you for all of that. Father, I pray you would continue to do it today as you speak out of your word again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to continue our series called Sent in the book of James. In the book of James chapter 3, we're going to keep reading because James is all about, he's writing to Christians all around the world that have been dispersed around the, the nations, and he's telling them how to live when they are sent on the mission. Practical tips for living as Jesus in a broken world. James chapter 3, it's found on page 826, these blue Bibles. If you're in the room, I'd love for you to take one home today. We want to give you a Bible. And if you're online, send a message or comment right now. We'll get you a Bible because we want you to have the Word of God so you can read along as well. In James 3, he's going to continue these instructions to us about how to practically live as we are sent on our mission. He says this in verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? And I think he just pauses for a second. I know it's not the end of a paragraph, but it's the end of a sentence. There's a question mark there. Who is wise and understanding among you? And I think he just pauses for a moment and waits. He's not looking in the eyes of the people he's writing to, but he is thinking about them, and he writes this. Who is wise and understanding among you? And I don't think it's just rhetorical. I don't think it's just a statement, a filler phrase. I think he wants to know. Is it you? Are you? You? Are, are you wise and understanding? Who is wise and understanding among you? If you think you are, if you say, maybe you're not raising your hand, but in your heart you're like, yeah, I'm wise. Of course I'm wise. If that's you, how do you show it? Do we show our wisdom and our understanding? Do we show it by lengthy monologues of everything that we know that is good and pure and righteous and holy from the word of God? Is that what we do? Do we show how wise and understanding we are by cleverly refuting all the false claims and arguments of a world that is broken and going to hell? Is that how we do it? Do we show that we are wise and understanding by pointing to the piles of trophies and accolades and achievements and results from a life lived wisely? Is that what we do? So I don't think any of those things are right according to the Word of God. That's not the kind of wisdom and understanding that James is inspired by the Holy Spirit to talk about right here. In fact, he tells us exactly the marks of a life that is lived with wisdom and understanding. The very next sentence, he says this, if you think you are wise and understanding, he says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That is what a person who's wise and understanding looks like. It's marked by a good life with good deeds done humbly. 
In fact, I think there are marks of a Jesus lifestyle. When you see somebody walking around, it doesn't matter if, if you're a believer in Jesus or not. When you see somebody who's been impacted in their heart by Jesus, transformed in their mind by Jesus, inhabited by the Holy Spirit of God, when you see them walking the streets, going to work, going to their neighborhood, going about their life, you can just tell they are different because they have the marks of a Jesus lifestyle. There's two marks of a Jesus lifestyle that James writes about right here. The first mark, it's in the text, you might have guessed it already, the first mark is good deeds. He writes about the good deeds that mark a Jesus lifestyle. When you are sent, you're sent to do good deeds. Now this is not to say that you can go earn your salvation. We know that the grace of God is freely given through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the tomb and the power of the resurrection. We know the grace of God and salvation comes freely to us. We don't earn it. Nothing we do can earn it. But we know that once you've been impacted by that freely given grace, and once you've been transformed by that freely given grace and that salvation that comes from heaven, then your life is marked practically by good deeds that you do. In fact, we know that our actions show where our heart is really invested. James already wrote about this in the first chapter of his book. When we we're reading this chapter together, in fact, in this room, in worship time, we're coming to Jesus. I didn't read these verses. I want to go back and read them here. It's James chapter 1, verse 27. This is what he says. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He says very clearly unequivocally, he says, religion that God accepts as pure and faultless as this, to care for orphans and widows in their times of need. Is that to say those are the only kind of good deeds we can possibly do? I don't think so. Those are examples of things that we can do. Those are examples of good deeds that we can perform along the way. But when our life is impacted by the good news of Jesus and our mind is transformed, by the Holy Spirit, then we begin to do these good deeds to care for people who are in need. My wife and I are foster parents. I've talked freely about this. This is no secret. My wife and I are foster parents. We've been fostering for uh, about 10 years now. And we, I wish I could say we've loved every step of the journey. It's been tough at times. But we love kids desperately. In fact, when we first decided to take this step into foster care, it was about 12 years ago. And we just felt that God was impacting our heart with his love for us and his adoption of us as sons and daughters. And how there are kids all around the world, all around our nation, all around our community, in our town, in our schools, sometimes even walking the halls of our church, that have been traumatized and hurt and scarred. And they need someone to care for them and to love them. And as we were being impacted by the good news of Jesus and we were being transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, we came to believe that our life needed to be marked by practical things. And God has so impacted us, we believe we needed to love kids who are hurting. And maybe a minute ago, I was talking about our kids' ministry, and I was showing the rooms on the screens, and you saw the rooms, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know how to, I can't do that. I, I'm not that good with babies. I, I'm not that good. I don't know how to play with kids, really. I'm awkward around kids. I'm not a good teacher. I just don't know how. I know that Jesus wants me to love kids, but I just don't know how. That's exactly how I felt about 12 years ago. 
I knew Jesus wanted us to love kids. I knew he wanted us to care for kids, take kids who've been traumatized and invite them into our home and love them like our own kids, our own sons and daughters. And I knew that, but I didn't have a clue how to do it. And I feel like Jesus was telling us, just do it. And I'll show you how along the way. When you follow Jesus, when you've been impacted by the gospel, your life is marked. It's marked in practical ways by doing good deeds of love. Not random acts, but intentional ones. For me and my wife, it's been loving kids. For you, it might be loving another at-risk group of people. You might be serving another group of hurting people. I don't know what it is for you, but I know our lives are meant to be marked by Jesus. The second mark of a Jesus lifestyle is humility. It is humility. In fact, if we look back in Scripture, we see that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, listen to this, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness, your acts of goodness and kindness. Don't practice it in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. It's not to be seen, to be patted on the back and to be applauded. That's not why you're doing this. He says, when you give the need, do not announce it. Do not announce it. Rather, when you give, do it in secret. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's what we do. When our lives are impacted by the good news of Jesus and our minds are transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, they are marked by practical things. The what is the good deeds. The how is to do them humbly. Our lives are marked by doing good deeds humbly. That's it. In fact, my wife and I, as you know, we are foster parents. I tell you that quite frequently as by way of example of how God has marked our lives. But outside of this room and outside of this gathering, outside of this time right here, we don't tell people that. It leads to some awkward moments, I will admit. When we meet people in public, we have people that we know out and around, and they see us, and they wonder how our kids look so different than they did last week. It does lead to some awkward moments, because our kids just change. And sometimes I have two kids, sometimes I have three kids, they think, Adam can't count. It leads to some odd, odd moments. But we don't announce it. Number one, I don't want my kids to feel any different than my biological children. And number two, I don't want the applauds and the praise of the world. I want to go to Jesus. When you follow Jesus, your life is marked by good deeds done humbly. And no one's going to tell you thank you, and no one's going to high-five you, and no one's going to applaud you, no one's going to put your name on a plaque and give you a trophy. It's not going to happen that way. But your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you when you reach him. Because your life is marked by Jesus. That's what it looks like to be wise and to be understanding. Which brings me to my next, next step today. You have another next step to take. The first one is to consider loving our children, our most vulnerable of our family. The next, next step is to grab, if you're in the room, you should have a little card on your chair. Everybody had one. They were all scattered around. It looks identical to this. If you're online right now on Facebook, then you should see a link in the comments. That link will have this in it. This is our next, next step. 
I get asked all the time, and we get calls here at the church all the time from people, maybe from some of you, just saying, hey, I need some help. Can you help me? And we ask, what help do you need? What is it? And we get answers that range wildly from all kinds of things, from, hey, I need help getting somewhere, to I need help paying for something, to I need help feeding somebody, to I need help with whatever it is, fixing something, whatever it is. We get all kinds of requests. And sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. Sometimes we get a bunch of requests all in the same week. Sometimes we go many, many weeks without any requests. It all just happens when it does. And we've been praying and thinking about how in the world can we help the whole family of God here serve the family of God here? How can we do that the best possible way? And really what we need to know is who to call and when to call them. Because I believe that we are all marked by Jesus, and we are all marked by a Jesus lifestyle, and we all want to do good deeds and do them humbly, but we just don't always know when or where or who to do it for, how to do that. And so on these little cards here, I'm just going to ask you, before you leave today, to consider jumping into something that we are calling, James, our discipleship minister, is calling this people helping people. It can't be more simple than that, can it? People helping people. That's what we're going to do. So just take a moment. Today, before you leave, there's some pins scattered around too, and fill the card out. Your name, a phone number, an email. And then you're going to look here, and you're going to think, what things can I do? What are the skill sets that I have to offer? And maybe you say, I can't do a lot physically. I, don't have a, I can't fix a lot of things and build a lot of things, but you know what? I am pretty good at driving, and I got some free time, so I can give some rides. Now, I'm not asking you to give rides all the time. We're not, we are not going to turn your car into an Uber service, okay? but you might be able to help people out when they need it. Give them a ride to the store, give them a ride to the doctor, whatever it is, mark that. Maybe you say, you know what I can do? I can do some small repairs around a house. Again, we're not asking you to, to be a fixer-upper here, but we're asking, can, can you put some trim back on a door? Can you fix a faucet maybe? Tighten a rail and a handle? Can you do small things? Put it right there. Maybe you say, I don't do those things at all, but I do love to cook. So you can provide a meal for people who are grieving, who are sick and hurting. Maybe you say, you know what, I, I just love, I love working on cars, turning some wrenches. I love doing that. So you can do some minor auto things. Maybe you can change the oil on somebody's car. Maybe you say, I, I can't do any of that stuff. I'm not really good at that. I'm a terrible driver. You don't want behind the wheel. Trust me on that but you're good at talking and you're good at listening so you can go and just visit somebody in their home. Maybe they can't get out. You can go to them just for a conversation. Maybe, maybe you say what I do is I go shopping. I go shopping a lot. I'm pretty good at shopping. And when you go grocery shopping, you can pick up somebody else's groceries and take it to them. We have some, some older people that just can't get out very easy and they can't carry bags of stuff. Maybe you can help go grocery shopping. And maybe you can do some yard work. You can throw a mower on a trailer and go over most of someone's yard. Maybe you can do some light housework. You can just dust and, and help straighten up a little bit for somebody that, that physically can't get around as well, maybe. There are all kinds of ways you can help other people. You can do good deeds humbly, and you're not going to get a reward. We're not going to give you the, you know, you gave the 100th ride award. We're not going to do that. You might get a thank you at the door. That's probably about it. 
But you're going to do good deeds humbly in secret. Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you in heaven. That's a life marked by Jesus. I want you to see another picture on the screen. Here's a picture up here uh, on the screen here. This is Kirsten Walker. Now, Kirsten's in the room right now with us, and so this is awkward for her. <laughs> Kirsten Walker. Now, Kirsten, I, I don't know if you've met Kirsten yet or not. Um, I have. She, she's a part of my Oikos, and, and we've been around her quite a bit. I love Kirsten and her whole family. Right, Kirsten, we met her, um, oh, man, under a year ago. Yeah, a while back. And, and Kirsten, I, I, I remember this, and I will never forget this. I'll never, ever forget it. The first time that she came here, she came through the front door, the lobby entrance here, and she walked through the door, and the people that were greeting that day met her and welcomed her, did everything they were supposed to do. They smiled, and they waved, and they talked, talked a little bit. They learned her name, and she came on in, and had a good time of worshiping, coming to Jesus with us, enjoyed the time of worship. And then we were all sent from this place, and everybody left and went about your mission that you're sent on. And the next Sunday, Kirsten came back. And she came back, and she came walking up toward the doors. As she was still in the parking lot, almost to the sidewalk, as she got almost up there, the doors flung open, and the people that were at the door had been there the week before, and they said, Kirsten, it's good to see you again. And they hugged her and welcomed her here. And as I've been told the story, it was that moment that she knew this was home because people knew her and loved her and wanted to be around her, and wanted to see her, and she was seen, and she was known. You know what we're asking of you? On these little cards, this is just the organized way to love people like that. So we can help everybody be seen, and be known, and be loved, and be cared for, so they know that this is home. This is a family that loves me. Incidentally, Kirsten's also going to be organizing this whole project, along with James and staff here. And so if you put your name down for whatever it is, and then someday someone calls and says, hey, I need, I, I need meals because we're, we're, we're mourning a loss and it's a hard time and we need some meals, just some help, you might get a call from Kirsten saying, hey, can you cook some meals for this family? So we want you to meet her and know her. She'll be out at the Welcome Center after service here so you can meet her and know her and just talk to her. And You can give your card to her. You can put it in the offering box. You can click the link online and fill it out online so we can get that. And together, we will form a network of people that help and love other people by doing good deeds humbly. That's what we want for us. That was your second next step today. But I got to go on because James is going to talk some more. James is going to keep talking and keep going here. It's in his little book, he's, that's all the, that's all the, this is what we need to be like passage, part of the passage. And then we get to the but. And there's a but, and James is going to turn kind of dark here. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Do not deny the truth. He says, such, in quotes, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Well, that sounds different. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, that doesn't sound like the marks of a Jesus life that we want, is it? 
In fact, that sounds like the counter to the marks we talked about. On one hand, I'm going to do good deeds. On the other, I'm going to be jealous and have a rivalry and be bitter. On one hand, I'm going to do things humbly. On the other hand, I have a selfish ambition, a pride. I'm ego-driven, and I want it all for myself. It's the counter to the Jesus lifestyle. And James is telling us very clearly we have to choose. We have to choose. When we've been impacted by the good news of Jesus, transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, we get to choose, am I going to live with good deeds done humbly or with bitter envy done with selfish ambition? How am I going to live? There's two kinds of lives. There's two kinds of marks. One's marked by Jesus and one's marked by Satan. And you might say, Adam, are you telling me that if I don't live with good deeds done humbly and instead I live with envy and I live with ambition, are you, are, are you telling me that, that, that my life might not authentically be following Jesus? I'm actually not telling you that. But James, the brother of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is telling you exactly that. That if you have a Jesus lifestyle, it is marked by good deeds done humbly. And if you reject that, and you instead live with bitter envy done with selfish ambition, then you are rejecting a Jesus lifestyle and living a life not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but inspired by Satan, who came to steal and kill and destroy everything good in your life. Everything good. And that kind of wisdom, if you choose that, if you choose to live that way, then there's a progression. He says, first, it is earthly. It does not come from the kingdom of heaven. It comes from the, the kingdoms of the earth, the world. It doesn't come from the spiritual world you live in. It comes from a different kind of world. It's earthly. And then it progresses. It's not spiritual. It's unspiritual. It is not inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's chasing your own goals, your own desires, your own things. But it progresses farther. It's not just earthly. It's not just unspiritual. It's actually demonic. The number one thing Satan wants to do is to steal, kill, destroy every good part of you, and he will target every single part of you, including the lifestyle you live. And he will try to tempt you to live a lifestyle marked by envy and selfish ambition, earthly, unspiritual, demonic things, so you live looking out for yourself, number one, only, all the time. That is it, period. But James says, James says, the mark of a Jesus lifestyle is to reject that. Let your heart be impacted by the good news of Jesus, your mind transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, so you do good deeds humbly. And then he's going to go on. He's going to go on right here. He's going to say in verse uh, 17, but the wisdom, he's going to turn hopeful again, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, Pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That sounds a whole lot better. That sounds a whole lot more like the life that Jesus wants to mark in us, doesn't it? And he's going to finish with this sentence. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Nowhere in the Word of God ever in any of these pages, you can scour this, you can read this, you can look at this all you want to, nowhere in here does it ever say violent protesters reap a harvest of righteousness. 
Nowhere in here does it ever say angry crowds reap a harvest of righteousness. Nowhere does it ever say militant groups or arrogant people or passive aggressiveness reaps a harvest of righteousness. It just does not happen. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever one time, regardless of what we might think or we might hear from other people, nowhere does the Holy Spirit inspire anybody to write down in the Word of God that boycotting and protesting and yelling and arguing and divisive things reaps a harvest of righteousness. Nowhere does that told to us, ever, period, never. But over and over and over and over, we read things like peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. It is not our job to violently and aggressively correct the problems of the world. Our job is to peacefully sow the seeds of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, everywhere that we go and trust that he will bring a harvest of righteousness. Our job is not to be against people. Our job is not to be known for what we are against. Our job is to be known for what we are for. To be known for loving people. And it's easy to be known for that if we're living a life marked by Jesus. If we have the marks of a Jesus lifestyle, it's easy to be known for that because people look at us and they see how oh, that person does good deeds humbly. It's easy because good deeds done humbly are always peaceful. Good deeds done humbly are always loving. Paul writes some similar things in Galatians chapter 5. He mentions all kinds of things that are the fruit of a spirit lived with bitter envy and selfish ambition. He mentions all these things out of here, all these horrible, terrible, nasty, ungodly things. And then he says in verse 22, Galatians chapter 5, then he says, but the fruit of the spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There's nine of them he lists. Well, how in the world are we, if I tell you your next step is to go live a life with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and so you go out these doors, how do you go do that? How do you go do love? Well, it's hard. I can't go build love. But you know what I can do is I can go do good deeds, humbly, that reap a harvest of righteousness and show love. Well, how do I do self-control? Well, I, I, I can't, but I can go out and I can do good deeds, controlling myself away from things that are bitter, envy, and selfish ambition. I can do good deeds, humbly, that show the fruit of self-control in my life. It's the same of all these. The fruit of the Spirit are not things that I do. They are the results of the good deeds done humbly in my life. So that when people, regardless of whether they know Jesus or not, when they look at us, and they see us walk through the store, go through the neighborhood, go to work, when they see us, they say, that person is loving, joyful, forgiving, patient, good, kind peaceful, gentle, and has self-control. Because we have the marks of a Jesus lifestyle. I want to finish with one more thing that Jesus said. This is Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount 
early, early on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? For they are the children of God. When we follow Jesus, when we surrender to him, everything, every part of us, from our actions to our words, to the things we think, to the things that we do, everything is surrendered to Jesus. We are adopted as daughters and as sons to live in his family. And once we're adopted as daughters and as sons to live in his family, then our life is marked by good deeds done humbly. And the result of that It's not praise and not accolades for ourselves. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is what it means to follow Jesus. If you've not followed Jesus today, I want to invite you to do so. I want to invite you to follow Jesus. The way that we do that here as part of this church is that we are lowered into water. We are baptized in water. And when we are lowered into the water, we are forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We are forgiven of all of our bitter envy and our selfish ambition and our strife and our turmoil and all the things that we've chased before in our life. All the things that were earthly and unspiritual and demonic are all forgiven. And then we come out of the water full of the Holy Spirit. Not so that we can take a seat in a church, sing the songs, bow our heads at the appropriate moments and give an offering and go home. But we walk out of the water full of the Holy Spirit so we can do good deeds humbly. Those good deeds done humbly might involve singing praises, praying prayers, giving offerings. But they're also going to involve being sent to love people, serve people, to help people when no one else knows we do it. But people will look at you and say, I see love. I see peace. I see forgiveness. Because you are marked by Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit in you, a seal, a deposit, guaranteeing the inheritance that you have in heaven. That's who you are. So if you've not followed Jesus today, I invite you to do so. If you're in this room, when we stand to sing a final song to respond in a moment, you just simply walk out the back or the side door and go to the next steps table and I'll be there. And we'll pray and we'll talk about that first next step for you following Jesus. If you're online, you simply send a comment or message right now. Say, I need to follow Jesus and we will help you do so. We'll pray and we'll talk about how you do that. And for all of us that are following Jesus at any level, any stage, new or old, Wherever it is, today I ask you to say, I'm in. I'm in following Jesus. And my life is going to be, I'm going to choose today that my life is marked by Jesus' lifestyle. I'm going to do good deeds humbly. And that might be loving kids and helping them find Jesus so that when they grow up, they can have families that love Jesus. And maybe they come from broken places and traumatic places, but because they know Jesus and they learn Jesus because I did a good deed humbly, then they are going to break that cycle of sin. Maybe that's you. Maybe you say, I'm going to leave here today and I'm going to go and I'm going to serve people with all the resources at my disposal, my skills, my strength, my back, my energy, my car, my money, whatever it is. We are going to love people well. Because that's what a Jesus lifestyle looks like.
I'm going to pray for us. We're going to stand this thing. And before we leave, I'm going to ask you to fill the card out. Consider that. Do it quickly. You decide right now in this moment, before worship's over, what next step you're going to take. And then we'll be sent. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for all the things you've done for us and all the things you've said to us. Father, I thank you that you have loved us so well. You've adopted us as your sons and as your daughters. And Father, I thank you that you have shown us how to live. We don't have to just, we don't have to guess. We can simply open your word and we can see how you, how Jesus lived, how your son lived, and then we can just imitate that. And Father, I pray as we do good deeds humbly that we would just love people and they would see us. And when they see us, they would actually see you and that you would transform them so they could join us being sent to glorify you by being disciples who make more. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps in following Jesus, please email me at keenan at cccj.church, and I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.